effing in sync. Panel conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues. I'm your host, Charles Epstein for SyncStream, leaders in ACA, ERC, and WOTC compliance automation for the staffing industry. I'm joined by my co-host, the estimable Tom Kosnick, president yeah. of the Vices Group and the staffing industry's leading expert. Hey, Tom. Yeah, hello, hello, Charles. The topic of today's panel conversation is Top Gun recruiting, are job boards still the answer? Uh, Tom, if you would, please give our audience uh, some background on today's panel. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But first, let me thank SyncStream for producing this series and our co-sponsor, Essential Staff Care, the largest writer of employee healthcare insurance and benefits to the staffing industry. Now, Top Gun Recruiting, um, if you're a small business owner, if you are a recruiting manager, one of the challenges with the advent of job boards is the post and pray uh, technique that a lot of recruiters use. And we wonder why companies uh, allow recruiters to keep going back and back to the, to the well. And uh, so our panel today are going to talk about the effectiveness, these different effective recruiting techniques and tools and uh, the future, potential future job boards and where they fit in on the changing landscape of recruiting. Excellent, looking forward. Uh, before we introduce today's panelists, this is our third panel cast. I just want our listeners to know that we'll be holding these uh, every second Tuesday of every month, focusing on a different topic with a different panel to share real world experiences, insights, and perspectives related to all aspects of staffing. Uh, the first panel cast was on the great fight for internal talent. Last month was on the great correction. Will wages return to pre-inflationary levels? They are both available for streaming on SyncStream's Staffing and Sync YouTube channel. Tom, take it away. Yes, let me introduce this fantastic panel that we uh, that we have assembled here today. Uh, uh, let me introduce Emily Burles, Vice President of Marketing at BGSF. Emily has been with BGSF for just over six years. She started as a corporate marketing manager, moved into the executive director of marketing, and then the vice president of marketing, and went, I believe, from a staff of you to now a staff of uh, close to uh, close to double digits. She's transformed the way the way that sales and recruiting teams are supported through marketing. Uh, and uh, she's also uh, recently named on Forbes Communication Council and Staffing Industries 40 Under 40. Congratulations in 2021. In addition to that big job that she's got at BGSF, she, uh, she volunteers at uh, Girls Inc., Jubilee Park and Community Center, American Cancer Society, the American Heart Association, and I understand a couple of, <laughs> a couple of more organizations. Uh, Emily, welcome. Thank you, Tom. And then we have Wendy, uh, who is the vice, Wendy Kenna from uh, the vice president of national recruiting at ProCom. Wendy is responsible for strategic direction, development, and growth at ProCom's recruiting service delivery strategy and operation. Excited to have Wendy here because she has 20 plus years of experience in the recruiting, uh, hiring, doing the job herself. Uh, uh, and then hiring and recruiting and managing and whatnot. 
So Wendy has refined the ability to build, manage, and enhance the recruiting delivery processes that has been responsible for a number of major initiatives at Procom. And for those of you who don't know Procom, they've got a fantastic reputation. And you know, Wendy sits on the senior management team. It all starts from the top down. So she's been really instrumental in putting that uh, fantastic reputation together for, for, uh, for Procom. And uh, also volunteering, uh, Wendy volunteers 20 plus years for holiday helpers. Uh, I understand uh, more than 800 families that started as a one tree uh, 20 plus years ago, and now they, they help over 800 families uh, during, the, during the holidays. Wendy, welcome to the podcast, panel cast. Thanks, Tom. And then Brian Bowman, uh, PPPC Media and founder of localjobs.com. Brian's got a career in sales and advertising and marketing. Excited to have Brian on the board because he founded a job board 22 years ago. So if there's anybody here that knows about the uh, growth and development of the job boards, it's uh, Brian. And uh, in 2021, Brian launched PPC Media Group to help companies attract and drive candidate acquisition, a big issue for everybody, through buying, through buying media management and delivery and a better ROI using that nebulous programmatic advertising <laughs> technique that, uh, that a lot of folks are still trying to figure out. Uh, and Brian also volunteers at the uh, with the Rotary Club. He's out of uh, Ashland. So Brian, welcome. Asheville. Asheville. <laughs> Asheville. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, great, Tom. Uh, very impressive panel, Tom. You're three for three. Uh, and pulling these uh, together, we'd expect nothing less from the staffing industry's leading expert. Thank you. Yeah. Anyway, uh, a few words on the ground rules during the panel discussion. Attendees are welcome to post questions in the chat. We'll select several to pose to the panelists in the 10-minute Q&A following the panel discussion. Um, before we get to it, uh, I know, Tom, you want to say uh, a couple words to set the stage for the panel. Oh, my gosh. Just this whole, I mean, recruiting is it. Two jobs, two open jobs for everybody looking for jobs. You're you're uh, placing IT professionals uh, uh, like uh, uh, Emily's company and Wendy's company, uh, fully deployed IT, engineering, accounting, and finance workforce in, in the United States. Uh, and then the, the, we've seen because of all this, the job board expense keeps going up and up and up and up and up. And the results keep going down, 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 down. And uh, well, they come, to, they come to us, right? Senior, leader, senior leaders within the organization to try to come up with positive solutions on how, how we can address this. And then in, in, then in addition to that, my gosh, the plethora of technology tools that are out there that we can use to enhance. Oh my gosh, uh, we're not talking about the sales side, but the recruiting side, we just can't recruit the way we did three years ago. We have to utilize techniques and tools and whatnot. And so just, again, really excited to uh, have these folks uh, on our panel cast here just to break open this whole thing on how uh, job boards, where do they fit in recruiters and tools and techniques and characteristic traits of a Top Gun recruiter. We're going to be talking about all that. Okay, good. And, and actually, before we begin, let me ask the question. It's, I know in everybody's mind, Tom, uh, how do we define Top Gun recruiting? Oh, yeah, great. Good, great, great, great question there. 
And so on the professional side, we just, everyone's like, on the professional side, we said a, a recruiter that's doing $750,000 of gross profit production and more uh, on, if they're, if, if they're on the commercial side, somebody doing, you know, half, a, half $450,000 of gross profit production or more direct hire recruiter, somebody doing a half a million dollars or more. And uh, we, we all know uh, the other thing is that it, there's production side of it. And then there's the, uh, there's the team side of it. So Top Gun recruiters are those people that really they uh, they're team players. They they uh, in, in, uh, they uh, embody the values and the ethics of the organization. Uh, they put customers first. They uh, just uh, they're they're beacons for other people in the organization to look up to. So that's that's our definition of a Top Gun recruiter. And and we know that well. All these organizations here, we know they got slews of Top Gun recruiters, recruiters on staff, and that's why we asked them to be on our panel cast. <laughs> okay, I uh, wanted you to define that uh, and also to make clear that uh, it has nothing to do with the movie. So anybody's expecting any special <laughs> effects, you've stumbled into the wrong panel cast. Um, in any case, okay, first question. Emily, I'm actually going to pose this up first to you, but obviously the two of you uh, uh, feel free to weigh in. As the title of this panel asks about job boards, let me start by asking about job boards. Since Monster.com broke into the business community in January of 1999, recruiters have been using job boards now for over 20 years. Where do you see the future of job boards going? Will they diminish? Will their value increase? Will something new come along? Great question. Um, I think that for one, job boards they're not going anywhere um, as much as from a staffing point of view. And we have our own job board. We want to make that successful. Job boards just themselves aren't going anywhere because people are aware of job boards and the, the amount of traffic that job boards get from the marketing side and the, the web traffic aspect. Um, so whenever we're looking at job boards specifically, you know, um, my goal, uh, and Tom was part of whenever I started wrapping my arms around job boards within BG BGSF with the marketing roundtable he hosts, um, I, my question was, well, what are we actually getting? What is the conversion? How, how, are we, how are we using what we're spending on job boards and what is, what is the ROI and what is the conversion rate? And so where I see it going is companies really becoming more smart in how they're spending their money um, with job boards, meaning, okay, are the people that are having those seats actually using those seats? Are they actually posting the other jobs that are within the contract? Are we actually seeing the, the conversion from what we're tracking in our applicant tracking system to what we're getting from the job board site? Like, are you seeing those type of conversions? And so I think optimization and data become key in that relationship, but it's also, um, you know, I, I put a I put a high stressor on the relationship that I have with my with my job board. Um, what are they? Uh, representatives and making sure that we're getting the the data and the relevant stuff that is coaching our recruiting team and our business development team on the best practices. Because as you know, internet changes and marketing changes day by day. Mm -hmm. and the best practices and the best strategies constantly are changing. So the ever evolving wheel and how we can stay atop on that. Um, as far as staying relevant, one of the areas that I foresee, um, well, where I would hope to see it to go is, you know, job boards from the applicant side, really looking more into personality indexes and trying to connect 
the right person with the right company. And um, we use um, Predictive Index at BGSF. Um, and that's been a huge game changer, I think, within just our internal recruiting and trying to match Jeez. the right person to the right job. And there's lots of different tools out there that you can use, but also um, elevating the company culture because what the applicant right now is looking for are the, the culture and the aspects yeah. of the company that relate to them and how they can continue to give back. And so I think there's different dynamics that could be incorporated more into the job board and the job search. Um, but do I think job boards are going anywhere? No, I don't. But I think that companies are going to be a lot smarter with how they use them when it comes to data and the optimization side. Yeah, great. Uh, Wendy, thoughts? Yeah, I agree with everything that Emily said there. I would just say um, one of the things that I think from a staffing industry perspective is a lot of the job boards really focus on the corporations and they kind of forget sometimes and not, don't tailor their products to the staffing industry and where that, you know, what candidates want and, you know, what they, what's true for them is they want to go somewhere where there's a lot of jobs and staffing companies bring a lot of jobs to those job boards, which bring talent to the job boards that help with their other customers and recognizing uh, that we're as much of a partner for them at, at, and a client for them and making sure that their product continues to evolve to support mm -hmm. the staffing industry. Because if you alienate this type of market, um, you actually will take away from the candidates that are going there because the staffing industry is going to figure it out and we're going to go down a different pathway and candidates will follow where the jobs are because you want a one-stop right. shop. Um, you don't want to have to go to six, seven different sites as a job seeker. You want to go to the, the, the sites that bring you value, right? It's all about the candidate experience as well. And if staffing, if, if job boards don't start to look at where are my candidates, who are they going to, where are they applying and start to figure out that it's also the staffing companies that are driving talent to them um, and continue to alienate us as a, as, um, as an organization, as, as an industry, they, they could see talent shifting because staffing agencies have to shift and we have to constantly evolve to make, as, as Emily said, every one of our dollars um, go farther and, and drive our way for us as an organization. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Brian, because panels are always best because a little bit of friction, I'm hopeful that uh, you'll contradict everything that Emily and Wendy just said. Uh, candidly, no. I mean, I think they're, <laughs> they're spot on. Um, you know, I've I'm really dating myself here, but I was in the job board space, made a, made a pitch to the San Diego Union Tribune back in 1995 about bringing their jobs online in the day of, of AOL and Prodigy. And, uh, you know, they just couldn't imagine the notion of, of bringing paper ads online and what would that do and what about all the money from paper and so gosh we've come forever and a day so I, I just have to say I agree with everything that they're saying. Um, so I'll just maybe talk to the technology side a little bit more. I see job job boards going. Um, uh, Emily's right. They're not going to go anywhere. I think the bigger are going to continue to get bigger. And as they do so, I think you're going to see them rolling out technologies um, that basically have tightened ecosystem between you have job boards and then you have ATS systems and you have employers and you have candidates. And I think that ecosystem is going to get a lot tighter between the ATS and, and the job board. So you take, for example, companies like, like LinkedIn or Indeed, where they are literally building out much of the capabilities for interviewing, messaging, auto-responding, 
um, video interviews, um, all the things that different ATS has brought independently. Well, everybody needs to be tied into an Indeed or other. And so I just think the bigger are going to be in an amazing place to kind of dominate for some time. And, um, you know, and, and I would say the mobile already happened. We're already seeing 50 plus percent, 60 percent of cans. And it depends by niche and vertical. So, you know, you're not going to have maybe quite as much on on the mobile uh, with some groups as others. Um, but so, so that kind of has already taken place. And then, yeah, I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing that's going to impact the overall technology side is um, who's going to control that ecosystem and whoever does is going to be the leader for a long time to come. Tom, any uh, thoughts? Yeah, just, a, just, a, yeah just a real quick follow-up uh, and, and, and maybe Emily. Hey, if, if, if you've got a small to mid-sized staffing company, what are the key metrics that a staffing company should be looking at in terms of the effectiveness of the job board? Well, when it comes to technology, it all depends on if you have that foundation of technology to actually be able to support and record what you're trying to do. Yeah. So, you know, when you're when you're talking about small and mid-size, a lot of them don't have that tech stack that actually talks to each other from the marketing mm. perspective. So what where I started and what I started looking at was what what are the recruiters? Are, so you have job postings, you have sales nav seats recruiter seats, you have all these different types of things on the different platforms. What is the usage that is actually happening on those seats? Because you're paying for those seats. So that's starting number one is, are your teams actually using them? So that is starting to generate. Then it's really diving deeper into your ATS and what are you actually tracking? And what is the, the capability behind that? Meaning, okay, is it the recruiter entering the data is it the the applicant entering the data where like what is the the single source of truth of that because there's always going to be that percent of error of oh well you got this person coming from here so you know i think it's really starting at looking at where your current state is and then working towards improving that and closing those gaps. So we just launched um, a brand new technology across the board within BGSF and it, it it's going to be it's game changing for us because it will show the single source of truth. But it's also in the staffing world, as Wendy and Wendy mentioned, you know, you have applicants that have come multiple times back to you. And so my question has always been, OK, we got this person from Indeed the first time from LinkedIn the second time, but from a referral the third time. How is our system going to be able to tell us that when we've placed them 10 times? Um, and so I think, you know, as as technology grows, you're going to have to shift where what what it is that you're looking at. But it's also start with your baseline and what you can actually measure. And one of the measurements you can measure right now is what how are your people using it? And are they actually logging in? Because I found a lot of stuff that we uncovered to then be able to optimize once we got our hands around that. Good tips. Good tips. Um, excellent. So second question. And Wendy, I'm going to put this to you. It is a two-part question. So it gives you a lot of time to organize your thoughts. Okay. Okay. For several years now, we have been hearing that technology platforms will replace recruiters. On-demand staffing platforms like TimeSave and Next. Next 
crew, et cetera, have surely brought about changes in recruiting? This is a two-part question, as I said. First, how have these platforms changed the way you work? Second, do you think they will eventually replace the role of the recruiter? And if your answer is yes, how do you feel about the prospect of sending your resume to a staffing platform that took your job? Ouch. Yeah, I, I, I just, I mean, I, I've been in staffing for almost 25 years and I find it hard to believe that technology is gonna replace the actual recruiter because at the end of the day, like we're a people business, people wanna talk to people and you, no matter how much you can, you can save time, definitely all these technologies can be put in parts of the process and that those parts that maybe don't need a can like a recruiter to deal with it like you know a scheduling tool um, to help you schedule shifts or a an interview platform to help you coordinate interviews so it's not that 10 in, 10 emails back and forth or 10 phone calls to coordinate an interview time all those have a place within like this your staffing like within your recruitment stack but at the end of the day a candidate wants to talk to a person, they want a trusted advisor that can walk them through their job cycle. We work in staffing every day. We interview people every day. We um, look for jobs every day. We talk to customers. We know what's going on in the market. But as a candidate, you know, the, on a contract side, like on, we, we work in the professional space. Like our average consultant is out um, on assignment for 11 to 13 months. Um, they're not looking for a job every day and some of them stay on contract for much longer than that. And so they're not interviewing experts. They're not marketplace experts. Um, the market changes as it has dramatically in the past 24 months. And they're looking for someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of and figure out, you know, if I want to make that industry change or that role change, they want to talk to a recruiter and walk through that process with them. Mm -hmm. um, and you're not going to, I've yet to see a technology that can replace that conversation with a recruiter that can help you work with your resume, provide you um, the rate specific to your skill set. For sure, you can go on to multiple sites and get price points where you can see if you're dramatically underpaid. Um, but at the end of the day, it's an individual, like your value to an organization is based on like your background. Like, where did you go? What's your education? What did you work on? And also the value of you to a specific organization at a specific point in time. Hmm. And without having talking to uh, talking to people, you don't know that, right? So could you be undervaluing yourself? Absolutely. Could you um, could you be opening yourself up to different industries? Maybe you've pigeonholed, you think you're pigeonholed in an industry until you talk to a recruiter who can help work with you and shape you and like change the trajectory yeah. of your career. And it ends. I've yet to see a technology that can work with a candidate to say like, hey, these skills are transferable and we can lift that and shift it over here and push your career in a different direction, which yeah. can be life-changing to a candidate. Yeah. yeah, Tom, we should do a panel on non-linear career paths. It's just such a <laughs> fascinating topic. And you know, how could any technology, you know, track that? It's a right? great, it's a great question. Yeah. And, when, and, and to add on to Wendy's point, Wendy, Please. if you're already talking with a candidate, that's great. For those of us that are like headhunting and we have to go after that that C-suite or that director level individual, um, you know, they're not necessarily looking. And I've yet to find a computer or a technology that can actually sell a candidate on a new opportunity. Because at the end of the day, that kind of recruiting is sales. And so those intangibles that only a salesperson can bring can open up the eyes, present the opportunity, sell the company, the culture, that 
next step opportunity in a way that computers will never do. So uh, tech will help with redundant mundane tasks. But as Wendy said, at the end of the day, the people side of it's never going to be replaced. And, and, and when, when um, I'm sorry, uh, Emily, BGSF, uh, are you all still in commercial, the light industrial uh, staffing? We are not. Um, we actually sold our light industrial division um, in Q1. Okay. <clears throat> Because I, I hear these on-demand staffing platforms are, are big in the healthcare staffing and in the uh, the light industrial side of the where they're where they're eventually you know trying to replace recruiters and all that stuff. Well, and I mean to that point, one of the areas that we we are specialized in very much so is the real estate sector, and that's if you think of a, an apartment community, anybody that is making an apartment community work that's what we provide so the groundskeepers the leasing consultants mm -hmm. and so it's very much on kind of that same same spectrum but regarding technology and kind of back to the the question in that sense is you know i think we all have to sit here and ask ourselves what can we do that computers can't and i think that's the power of relationships and i'm a big fan of tocqueville and um one of the one of my favorite books and this is gonna make me like geek out over here um but democracy in america he wrote this in the 1700s and he projected that we would be having cubicles and that we would lose the site of communication and the, the site of human interaction and the, the, the importance of having conversations, even like the one that we're having right here. And that's powerful. And if, even if you look at the past kind of when you touched on it, but if you look at the past 24 months, Tocqueville didn't predict that COVID would happen and we would all go into lockdown, but he did predict cubicles and to the extent that's kind of very similar and so when you think about a recruiter and what it is that we're doing i mean we're putting bread on people's plates like on their table and so you step back and you think of it all starts with a job and the power of that and how can we continue to build upon those relationships and how can we use technology to simplify and streamline and optimize our life and you can't i, I truly believe you can't remove the human touch from that. Um, there, there's a stat that I saw um, uh, from Indeed, actually. It's estimated that 40% of people lie on their resumes and three out of the four employers have caught a lie on someone's resume. So who catches that? A recruiter or the company? I, I mean, you, you have to have that filter that embellishes. Um, one, of my, one of my team members I was talking to earlier this morning and he said it perfectly. It's like, okay, well, is that telling the same story is we can we can be all data heavy but is that telling the same story as what we're hearing from this side and you know when when technology continues to advance i, I think it's important to not lose the filter of the human touch the human relationship and the power of connection just at b hmm. hey, if i may jump onto that one more point on the technology one area that we haven't really touched on is the gig economy so when you look at companies like, um, you know, Uber or, or um, mm. DoorDash, Grubhub, I mean, these companies are absolutely using technology for that type of workforce, and it's had an impact. I had a real eye-opening experience. I, I won't go too far down the rabbit hole here, but, you know, when I was talking to, <laughs> dating myself again, grandson, and, and he wasn't, didn't look like he was working out of college, and I said, what are you what are you uh, doing? You, you know, I'm interviewing. Well, how are you paying your bills in the meantime? Well, I do, I do DoorDash. And I go, so you got to figure out, talk, how, how's that whole thing work? He goes, oh, I just turned on my app. Uh, I applied. I said I was available in this market. Um, and when there's a job, I just turn on my app. I'm available to go work. 
And so when you think about how many people do Uber, DoorDash, Grubhub, it's a significant impact. Um, and it is affecting the workforce today in those entry-level type jobs. I mean, if you can make 20, 25 an hour dropping off some McDonald's hamburgers or some pizzas to somebody's house, why would you, you know, it's going to be an uphill sale to try to get that same individual into mm -hmm. potentially light industrial or something else. So well, I'm just Brian, saying technology. Yeah, yeah. Because I 100% I, I agree with agree with that. But if you look at the the culture and where our people, like where the people are looking, like what they're looking for in a job, they're looking for a purpose. If you think of every single thing in the culture that has happened, they're looking for a purpose and a meaning. And so how, how do they get that meaning from Uber? And they don't necessarily. Um, and so you, you also, I mean, Uber attempted to do staffing and from my knowledge, it, it it went flat because it lacks the human connection and the ability to be able to connect back to the predictive index. And is that a fit for this company? And is that is that person going to thrive or struggle in that environment? A computer can tell you all day what what it thinks, but in rationality and the the relationship <laughs> side, is, is that is that going to happen? Because I I totally agree with it it causing a disruption, but at the end of the day, what are our millennials and Gen Zers looking for? They're looking for meaning and purpose and how can they have a meaningful impact in the world today? Yeah, and maybe that impacts somebody who's a little further down in the career thinking than somebody who's in high school or who's fresh out of college and there's they're, maybe they're interviewing for that deeper connection, but sometimes just for, for ease of getting the paycheck tomorrow. I mean, that's where the technology is kind of playing a little bit of a role but yeah i think i think the entry level positions for sure and uh like where where, where did the two million workers pre-pandemic go you know a lot of those a lot of those workers are doing brian what you're talking about they're you know living with a girlfriend or living with a parent and they're they're doing the gig jobs uh part-time but i, I, I really some of those some of those people just they did what we talked about earlier is they, they left the industries they were in and they they transferred their skills to another industry mm. because that the labor market allowed them to do it in 2022 2021 2022 because there was a labor shortage so if you were work, working in a restaurant in a heavy customer service um, environment and you could take that skills and go work online doing support for technology yeah. or something that's very high customer service where you can work out of your home that's where those people went it wasn't that they just like disappeared They've just trans, they're no longer available to the industry they previously worked in. So it looks like a disappearing group of people, but it, all those people are working. Um, they're just working somewhere else. And so when people are posting jobs for restaurants, like the people don't want to go back to restaurants because um, they were probably the hardest hit. People who worked in hospitality, hardest hit during the pandemic, but they were able to, when everybody else was looking for people, look at those transferable skills and people who were looking for talent were also willing to work with that group of people and pull them over, right? And then once you pull out of that industry to a job that's like, that I, I don't wanna say is easier, but definitely less demanding, uh, probably a more compatible work-life balance, you're not gonna pull them back into shift work or um, into those jobs where, you know, especially during a pandemic where there's high you know, mm. high health risks and things like that. And those people just, just didn't go back. One of the things on the technology side that I would say 
especially over 2021 and 2022 in the pandemic um, that, that COVID really created was like the fraudulent candidates. Um, and you know, when you didn't have to go into work anymore, the whole concept of, hey, the person who interviewed is maybe not the person that went to work. Um, and we've seen that, we've definitely seen a ton of that on the technology side of things. Um, and, to, and to be honest, none of that technology has solved for it. And really where we find it is the recruiter that frontline worker mm. saying, like picking up the patterns, looking at the resumes and saying, either I've seen this resume before, I've seen this pattern of resume before, in the conversations with the candidates, picking up on those red flags and being able to, to run that down and realize what you have there. Um, and we're, we've been talking to the job boards and, you know, there's a, a, not, a, a not necessarily, uh, they, they don't want to say that those people are on their site but we see those people on their site. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's not really a benefit. To, they haven't figured out how to cleanse those people out and to identify them. And it really does come back down to like the communication with the recruiter. Hmm. By the way, uh, Tom, I don't know about you, but in planning this, I was not expecting a, a, a to Tocqueville reference. <laughs> uh, you know, Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche or uh, Darwin maybe, but not to Tocqueville. I, I'm impressed. Uh, same, same. Very impressive. You raising the, the tone, bar. raising the tone, Emily. I'm yes, exactly. You. Exactly. Uh, speaking of technology, its power and its limitations, what are the best recruiting tools in today's uh, environment? I know we've spoken in some general terms, but what are the best, in your view, uh, in your experience, recruiting tools? I'm going to put this to Brian first. Um, I, I can't really speak to the level that these two ladies can because I've been an independent recruiter myself. Um, so I've used SMB. Uh, I've used Cats One, Cats One, which is a uh, a SaaS, uh, essentially ATS that's integrated with a number of job boards. So I can post, I can send out my my templated letters. I can communicate back and forth. I can instant message. But my needs are pretty are pretty simple relative to these organizations that are quite large. Um, you know, beyond that, I, I, I personally, for my desk and what I've done, I've just found LinkedIn to be extremely valuable because I'm headhunting, um, and so I'm able to reach out direct to uh, the type of candidates I've been in the, in the predominantly healthcare IT. So everything from CIO, CTO. Uh, director, manager level, even down to um, engineers. Um, and so for me, that's the tool that's been extremely effective. I haven't had to use between that and a phone and emails um, to to source. That's been my tool. So I think these gals will probably be shed some greater light on that. Sure. Um, Wendy, Emily? Yeah, I can jump in there. I mean, I think for depending on the size of your staffing company, you're probably at different stages of what tools are, mm. you, you know, are a good fit for you, right? So it depends on like how far are you on your data journey because like automation is amazing, but automation only works if you have good data behind it uh, because you send out really bad automated um, information if you have really bad data. Um, and so, you know, if you, you need to, you need to work on your data before you can work on your automation. And if you're further down that data journey, like there's lots of great things you can do with automation that are just simple time-saving things. Um, you know, we use Bullhorn as our ATS, you know, so they have 
their automation platform built in where you can do just simple automations and you can do obviously much more complex things on redeployment. I think one of the things that you know we've really focused on in this time of where there is a talent, it is a talent market um, and there's not as much talent for supply and demand are definitely not um, equal is like doing more with less. And so, you know, with the people you do have, you're really trying to push them and find those opportunities and sell those candidates to um, other places. So you need to be keeping, you know, reaching out to them more frequently. Automation helps you do, do those types of things. But I would like agree with Brian from a, if I asked all, of, you know, I have 150 recruiters that work for me. If I asked them all, I, the one tool that none of them would give up would be LinkedIn Recruiter. And probably behind that, indeed, um, in terms of in terms of the sources they get candidates from, and and obviously our database, right? Because part of yeah. working with all these different technologies is you're drawing people back into your database to increase the data integrity of it. So you know, I didn't bring this up when we started talking about the job boards, but even if you're not converting those people that are applying to your job postings, you know, to the job they apply to often they're updating your database as to what's good, like where they are now, what new skills have they acquired. And often you're placing those people on like, you know, future dated requirements. So they apply today for one posting, they're not a good fit, but then you end up placing them two or three jobs down the road because now you know where they are, you have the updated contact information, you know, they've gained new skills. So, you know, we, you know, the post and pray, I agree, it's not a great strategy, but we still probably place about 40% of the candidates that uh, we place still probably come from an external source into our an external posting source. But I would say of that 40%, only like 50 of that 50, 50% of that 40% get the job they applied to. The other 50% came in, applied to a job, and we place them somewhere else. Um, and so that's where technology really can play a, a good role is in helping you keep your data fresh. Um, because then you can do those other things like the automations that can really drive some of those um, desk level um, productivity gains. But, you know, best recruiting tools really depends where you are in your life cycle as in like how big you are, how much money you have to spend, because sometimes it's the simplest tools that can make like putting in a resume parser, which can help like increase your resume, like get your resumes out of your recruiters inboxes and into your database so they can be used more broadly. That could be, you know, a very easy tool to add into your tech stack that can provide you great value for down the road. Um, but, you know, for other larger organizations, it's really moving down that automated path that's going to provide the biggest value today. But Emily, I'm sure you have lots of thoughts on this too. No, I 100%, I do have thoughts, but I do agree 100% with Wendy and Brian on everything that they said regarding LinkedIn, Indeed, your own database. Those are all very powerful. The one thing that I would add, because from your own database, you have referrals um, and that's that we call it alumni. And it's like, how can we, how can we revive the people that are asleep over here and rejuvenate them? And that kind of comes to the journey of what it is from the marketing perspective. And that goes to Tommy heard me preach it, the marriage between sales, marketing, and recruiting. I'm very passionate about it. And what that looks like with new technology is even to the next level because of automation. But one of the tools I don't think that we've necessarily really 
touched on is the the tool of keywords and the power of keywords um one of the what I, and what i mean by that are the keywords that are within your job posting itself mm. um on the job board does that align with what the recruiter is actually doing and what marketing might over here be doing on the paid ad side so brian i know you can probably speak to a little bit from the pay pay by click area as that's one of your businesses but it's you know it, one of the disconnects that i'm really trying to bridge within you know bgsf is how how do we go from okay now we've wrapped our arms around just like the, the optimization and the usage of job boards but how now do we connect what is actually being posted because it's not automated to the job boards and making sure that it aligns with our paid ad strategy that that we're really amplifying from even the Google ads from the Facebook ads from from just the SEO search side of things um, and so from from the tool side that's where that's where I really see keywords being being a tool that could potentially be underutilized um, specifically in, in the staffing world. And Tom, I think it was six years ago, I was sitting with you around a, a table in Chicago and it was like, staffing is so behind the marketing game. And I'm like, amen, preach, preach. <laughs> because it, 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 there's so much room and so much growth that's available. Mm -hmm. How can we amplify that and really take it to the ne next level? Um, and so from the tools perspective, for one, I think referrals, which that's within your database, uh, for two, it's the, the keywords, which the, should live in your database, but how is that being translated to your marketing game? And I think that comes I back to the data. Yeah, data, like Hannah, data is key. I have an article out there on Forbes. It's called "Data Is Key." Go read it. <laughs> so, so, so that's so true. And Emily, if you stop and think about how important it is, both of you have massive database of candidates that you've acquired over the years. And and what if you could somehow emulate what LinkedIn has been able to do, which is to keep candidates engaged with your brand, such that they are updating their resume somehow on your system. Right. And and that means bringing in other technologies like the texting and auto messaging SMS. Right. So if you have the ability to as new job recs come up, if you have them tagged properly in your own ATS and you're implementing like a sense type of technology that's bringing them down a journey to update and keep their their current job titles and what they're doing somehow uh, updated in your own database. That would be a, a very a very viable tech tool to be looking into for larger organizations. The other thing that you guys probably are aware of this, but if not, I'm just going to throw it out to the broader audience. But um, Indeed does an amazing job. Look, they're the largest job board in the world, and they have aggregated extensive data, and they put out available through their LinkedIn program that uh, recruiter hiring insights. So you can literally go in. I've had clients that have given me job recs, and I look at the job title and I say, yeah, I don't know how that's really gonna work in attracting candidates. And so you go, you go look this up and you find out that, you know, a cabinet maker for an aviation company uh, may be better posted as a steel fabricator job title because looking at the data based on candidate clicks uh, and, and you can see which of their competitors are using that it's great data to reverse engineer and say, well, we got to rewrite our ads and take advantage of what the data is telling us to do. So, yes. Emily, to your point, the data is critical. 
100%. And the reverse engineering and paying attention to what you're seeing people click on is powerful. And what we what we've seen just in like our Google ads and what we're and we are dipping our toes. Like I mean, we're it's it, what you're seeing there could be game changing if you if you fully launch into it. One of the things though that I would add Brian to what what you were saying about um just the different technologies. One thing that is very important to pay attention to is what is your mark your martech stack look like what is talking to the other and not just frivolously be adding things to your martech stack that doesn't talk to the other because that's just going to make more headache in the future for you as you're trying to launch a text thing or as you're trying to launch an email marketing thing or you're trying to launch paid ads and you can't actually see what the end users doing because none of it talks to that's one of the biggest challenges in in marketing just across the board is just being able to have the data all connected together and you know it's one of my my big pain points but it's one step at a time how can we take that next step to actually be able to potentially show that roi on the ad that we placed on google and what does that stream look like and what's the click through rate and what was the clickbait that got that 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 mm -hmm. position placed and filled um and that's that's one of the challenges with ats's and with with any type of marketing and technology stack but to really be cognizant of of what is talking to each other and and not just add things because it's it sounds smart from that uh trade show little walk around that oh that would be a great thing to add to my technology stack where it doesn't integrate or talk to anything that you currently have yeah and i not would to agree, mention emily break, it's also your piggy bank because that can <laughs> yeah, be expensive I, too yeah. Yes. Yeah. The other thing is, I always say you can like $20 yourself to death is that, you know, it's like, it's only $20, but you know, as you grow as an organization, that $20, you know, across hundred people, across 200 people, it becomes a big dollar line item. And you end up stacking five, six, seven of these $20 tools on top of each other. And now, now none of them are, most of them aren't $20 anymore. They're like $35 or $40. Yeah. You can very or $200 a seat. Yeah, and then very yeah. much like a lot of these automation tools can really start to add up and they become like more expensive than you know, like your ATS seat. So now you're paying for your ATS seat, you're stacking all these technologies. And if you're asking recruiters to log into multiple systems, like they just don't do it, right? So you end up paying for a seat. So you really want to figure out, get into the mind of your recruiters to figure out like, where are they going to go? What's their path of least resistance? Because they will only touch on so many things in a day and you're paying for technology that's not used. Right. And so that becomes an expensive, like, you know, you're, there's just a lot of wasted costs there that you could put back into whether it's pay-per-click campaigns or into, you know, more targeted marketing, mm -hmm. um, anything like that. Boy, this, this is such, this is such fantastic uh, conversation about technology and utilizing technology and data to increase the effectiveness of our recruiters. You guys are saying so many great things. Um, Charles, let, can we move into the question about characteristic traits? Yes, why don't we? Uh, we actually probably have time for that one more question, and then we're going to do the Q&A. And given that we don't have a lot of time, we're going to probably have to turn that into a lightning round. So you're going to have to be on your toes. All right, here's the last question before we get to the Q&A. We use the term Top Gun Recruiter, which Tom defined. What do you see as the top characteristic traits of a Top Gun recruiter? How does one become a Top Gun recruiter? Or is it something 
you're born with. Wendy? Yeah, um, you know, I put a lot of thought into this when uh, we, we started talking about questions and I think it really is, you can, you can train people to be a recruiter, but I really do think it's like you're born with that, that instinct to be a good recruit, like to be the best of the best. There's something in it that in terms of like how hungry they are to understand the business, what client wants, what candidates want, and they thrive off making that match. Um, but they do it faster and with a higher like frequency than an average recruiter. So you can have, there's lots of good recruiters out there that, you know, if we use the 750 mark for um, in the professional space, there's lots of four and $500,000 professional recruiters, but those people that are driving 750 and million dollars of billing a year, they do things just like super powered, like supercharged, everything they just do faster. They synthesize data faster. So they're able to look at a requirement, hmm. figure out what the client's asking for, and be able to look, look at a resume and see that match um, just more quickly than the average person. Um, and then they also take that little extra step and they make the calls. They're on, the people that are doing the best are on the phone. They're not doing the texting, the emailing, like that's not their first mode. They're on the phone, they're creating relationships and those relationships pay off over time. Um, and they recognize that. So, um, you know, most of my top, like my top gun recruiters are not people that are working 12 hours a day. They're working very smartly for their eight hours a day mm. and they will drive more GP per day than, um, than an average recruiter, but they're not working longer. They just work smarter and they drive, they understand it's all, it's a volume game. They do, and they do it very quickly. Um, but it really comes down to their ability to synthesize what clients are looking for and know exactly, they, they don't have to make as many calls to make that match. So they'll reach out to 10 candidates, five of those people will be like bang on, um, whereas other people have to make 20, 30 calls um, to find the one or two people. Emily, Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, I think it's a combination. Um, I think that for one, you hit it on the head with Tocqueville, relationships matter, yes, 100%. Um, but it's also um, empathy and compassion, I think, come, come that that's, that's what you would be innately like born with. And that's what you're given. But you have to step back and you also have to look at it. Who went to school to be a recruiter? No one. Like that is, that is not something that is taught in school. How did you end up in staffing? You didn't go to school to be in staffing. Most of us just fell into staffing. And how did that happen? And so when you when you think about the required traits for a recruiter specifically, you know, I think it comes down to compassion and empathy for one, but you also have to know how to listen. You have to know how to listen to your candidate about what they want because this is their position that you are placing them in. But you also have to listen to your sales side of what is the what is the client wanting because at the end of the day you're not wanting just to fill the seat you're wanting to put a long-term person and to fill that to make that solution and so a lot of listening from all different area and all different points really come into play mm -hmm. I, I feel like in 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 the recruiter specific world and i i'm in marketing i've I, I believe in the marriage of sales, marketing, and recruiting. But just to put that into from from the outsider's perspective, I, I think a lot of it is you have to have the compassion and the empathy to be able to listen, but also be able to act on your feet and be compassionate. Because how are you going to go tell that person that this placement didn't this didn't work? But I have this other solution over here. Like bear with me, and that that's all about how you humanly connect and humanly relate 
um, to someone. And I'm, I'm pretty sure if you got an email saying you didn't get the job, that's not that's not the response you want. Hmm. Uh, Brian, a last thought on that? Well, I guess I'm a little bit maybe more old school than the only guy on the panel. So um, um, <laughs> I probably didn't come out right. But I think uh, to me, there's a there's a lot in common with a top gun pilot and a leading recruiter, meaning they have to they 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 have a uh, cannot fail mentality. They have initiative. They're goal driven. Um, they're persistent. They're not afraid of failure. Um, they're thick skinned. Uh, yes, you have to have empathy and yes, you have to have like people. But at the end of the day, um, it's a lot of work to pick up the phone and call 50 or 100 calls a day. And you have to be able to get a lot of get through the negativity, um, you know, the letdown. There's the, you know, it's it's uh, it's it, look, this holds true in sales, period. You could be selling SaaS, you could be selling cars, you could be any any true successful salesperson, which I believe recruiting is, um, you know, you have to understand uh, your product. Okay, the job opportunity in this case, you have to understand the candidate and what their needs are. And that's where the empathy and understanding comes in. And you then have to have the knowledge and wisdom through the training. And by the way, shout out to Lou Adler. I, I'm a firm believer in his program, but I think that, um, um, you know, understanding what this candidate can do, uh, what's his most significant accomplishment? Does it line up with the needs of the employer? And, and uh, you know, everything else falls from there because if he hasn't mm -hmm. done the kind of need to be done, then probably is going to be a reach to begin with. So that's that's my answer. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll there. That's what that makes it. You have to have resiliency grit. and grit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Great. Grit. By the way, yeah, one of the downsides of uh, having such an interesting panel, an interesting conversation <laughs> is that it tends to crowd out the Q&A. So unfortunately, um, Tom, I don't think we're going to have uh, time for that, because uh, I know we do have a hard stop. Uh, we want to be sensitive to people's time. Uh, again, everybody, thanks so much for attending this. Uh, Tom, any closing comments? Oh, what a fantastic uh, conversation here. Uh, just two, two, two big things. Uh, job boards are not going anywhere. We just have to get smarter with how we utilize job boards. Uh, metrics, the job board spend, the usage, the ATS tracking, the conversion, some great ideas there and comments there. And then the other concept that data is critical and we have to get smart with the recruiting tools and the integration of the recruiting tools. And that is going to be a significant thing to help us drive productivity with our, with our recruiters. Two big, big, great concepts for anybody on this call. Uh, we'll be thinking about for days to come. Yes, and uh, I'm going to reward uh, Emily for the Tocqueville uh, reference by uh, referring to her comment as data is king. So again, thanks so much, uh, panel, for joining us today. This is really fascinating. Um, this panel cast will be available later this week for anyone wanting to relive the experience or to share it. Uh, I want to close by thanking Essential Staff Care for their sponsorship of this series staffing and sync conversations with the staffing industry's top thought leaders on today's most pressing and important staffing and business issues produced by SyncStream, providers of ACA, ERC, and Watsi compliance automation and expertise for the staffing industry. Join us next month for an equally lively panel on accelerating the performance of your new hires. Thanks for joining us. See you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.